Today on the Blokes in Your Ear podcast, we have co-owner and director of Holistic Athlete Development, Brad Jenkinson. Brad works with elite athletes from across the country, as well as young budding athletes who want to develop to that elite level. Brad has worked at lots of different sporting clubs, including Melbourne Storm, as a strength and conditioning coach, and has developed a great system for athletes to work not only on their physical attributes, but on their mental well-being as well. Brad was a pleasure to chat to and was very informative on the topic. Let's give it up for Brad Jenkinson. It's time for the Blokes in Your Ear podcast. All right, Brad, lovely to have you on, mate. Um, do you just want to introduce yourself and what you're doing with yourself at the minute? Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, pleasure to be here. So um, I run a business called Holistic Athlete Development in which I, I work with footballers across the country to um, really raise their standards of footy. I suppose I've got a few different parts to my business, um, but it's all, all to generate really high-level outcome um, for the guys I work with. So, um, yeah, it's something that, that's very enjoyable. I, I do a few things, you know, within the AFL, within an education space as well. It really complements the business and I also work as a high performance manager um, at a footy club in the Victorian Amateur Football Association here in the Premier Grade. So, um, so yeah, between those sort of things, like I'm busy, but I'm busy in the right areas, the areas that I enjoy and that's, that's working with footballers definitely. Yeah, cool. Well, it sounds like um, it's obviously a passion for you. So with with the starting of your career and stuff, have you been in this sort of space for a long period of time or were you doing something else in the past? Yeah, I have been. I suppose that, you know, I look at high performance as um, a really wide area, I suppose, and that that has meant that, you know, through different capacities, I have been involved um, in high performance environments and I suppose it all sort of started with, um, you know, the first environment like that that I was in where I was a strength and conditioning coach at Melbourne Storm um, in the NRL who, you know, I believe are the best strength-based club in Australia and probably arguably still are. Um, so, you know, to, to go straight into an environment like that where you learn a lot about um, so many different aspects of high performance, then that's been... Um, you know, just a, a great starting point. And then from there to move into the AFL um, in an education space. Prior to that, I was a lecturer at Swinburne University here in Melbourne. So um, did a bit of work through there and, um, you know, completing an exercise and sports science degree along the way as well at Victoria University. Um, and then sort of just moving into sharing my knowledge with um, some clubs and players for from an amateur and sub-elite level as well as what I've learned from the top and and you know i've studied players and different athletes in general and what they've been able to achieve how they've been able to achieve those great outcomes over a long period of time and just to be able to pass those learnings on um yeah that's sort of that's kind of in a real nutshell that's my um i suppose starting point and then from there it's just grown and grown and then i developed my own business in a in an area where i saw there was a massive gap um room for improvement and then um, that's probably an ever-evolving piece as well within itself. Yeah, cool. Um, with your degree, was that a sort of a three or four-year sort of degree um, with your exercise fees? Yeah, see, we're going back um, a few years now. I'm going to say, I'm trying to remember whether it was three or four myself. 
Yep. I think it, I think it was a three-year degree. So it was exercise and sports science out there yep. at Victoria Uni. Um, yeah. So that was. Um, yeah. I, I mean, at that time, I suppose they developed a new uh, laboratory department. I'd call it, like sort of physiology um, department out there. So that was that was really good to sort of go in there, and that was probably about um, halfway through my degree that that was open for the students. So that was, um, that was really good to experience, you know, some resource to equipment that, you know, I suppose later on really helped me when I went to Melbourne store. Um, and then, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I suppose still even today, you know, I still think about, uh, some of those networks that, that I, I made there and some of those that I still stay in contact with. And one of those I'm actually having a zoom call with on Friday. So, um, yeah, so I think that, by, by you know, sort of not only undertaking the, the education component of the coursework itself, but, you know, building those networks and, and seeing those people out in industry, you know, now and, and what they're doing has been great to, to witness and sort of um, come back to them in another, another area later in life where you sort of do it more so from a career perspective rather than an educational perspective at that starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with your with your storm gig, how did you get onto that? Because obviously you don't just walk into a job or sort of club like that. So you've obviously made the contacts through uni somehow. So can you talk us through how you got your gig doing that? Because that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I um, I suppose. Look, my my now wife and I. Um, previous to that, like we lived up in Queensland for. a for a short period of time. Um, then we moved back um, to Melbourne to sort of pursue careers that at that stage that we wanted to. And for me, you know, I wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach at an elite club um, within sort of 12 months of us moving back. Like I speak, even the, the sort of learnings that I, I had within that, which I talk a lot to my clients about currently, um, was really being determined. So within that 12 months, I actually set a five-year plan um, to be working at the Melbourne Storm as a strength and conditioning coach. So I even got right down to the specifics of the club that I wanted to work with. Yeah, wow. Um, and then, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to actually achieve that within two years. So then it was about, um, I suppose, resetting those goals and what I wanted to achieve out of my time there. And, you know, that, that was starting in a voluntary capacity. Um, and then moving on to, to a paid position within 12 months post that. So within, you know, three years, I was in a, a paid position at Melbourne Storm as a strength and conditioning coach and um, working across from sort of 15, 16 year olds right up to first grade players. Um, so, you know, you could, you got good sort of variation within, within what you did, which was, which was exciting and to learn from, you know, some people who, and some who are still there, um, others who have moved on to other roles at, you know, other clubs or other sports, but just to learn off those people um, and the way that Melbourne Storm just in general go about their business was, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, cool. Um, with with your time at Storm, um, as a strength and conditioning coach, you work with all the players uh, in sort of the first team, is that right? Or do you work with just um, a few of few specific guys? No, you, yeah, no, you work with them all. So what we used to do, um, especially with the first grade team, was they used to be divided. Now I'm not sure whether they still are now. Um, across basically um, three positions that they would come into the gym. So you would have your backs come in, and then you would have your big guys come in in another rotation. 
um, as well. And so there was three rotations and you'd be in the gym the whole time so that each player would come through the gym. Um, I suppose that we shared that facility at Amy Park with a few other codes as well, like Melbourne Victory were there from a soccer team. Um, Melbourne Demons were there as a footy team. Um, at that stage, the Melbourne Rebels weren't there, but they are now, I know. So, so I suppose that you're managing different teams through the gym at different times, plus the access to the equipment that you've got. So, yeah, um, I'd work across all players and just be on a rotational basis. So it would sort of be like a um, really sort of two and a half hours. Within a two and a half hour space, you'd get every player through the gym that you'd be in there with. Yeah, yep, righto. With with that, um, sort of, I know a little bit about sort of um, rugby, not a great deal, but one of the players that sort of sticks out for me would be Billy Slater. Did you do a bit of work with him? Yeah, so Billy was in the team when I was yep. there. Um, and it's really hard, I suppose, with those representative players that play, um, you know, state of origin, plus also play nationally. So at that time, and Melbourne Storm have always been really great at producing plays in, in those sides, like whether it's New South Wales, Queensland, or playing for Australia, or even New Zealand, um, some of the other countries as well. So given their sort of busy schedules, you wouldn't see them in the gym as much as you would some of your other players, just because, um, you know, let's say in season, the turnaround times, like there was maximum focus on recovery. So gym sessions would definitely um, not be as prominent as they were in pre-season with the sort of frequency of them. Um, but then in pre-season, if those guys were touring for Australia or all those other sides that I mentioned, um, they'd be off on tour. So, um, yeah, their, their workload in terms of um, the amount of games they'd play throughout a season was a fair bit higher than the guys that were just playing NRL. Um, mm. So, yeah, you wouldn't see them as much, but definitely when they were, when they were there, um, I mean, the standard really raised when they were in the gym because their focus and dedication is a huge reason as to why they could play at such an elite level consistently. Yeah, yeah righto. So with that, um, that sort of brings up the question for me. If you're working at Melbourne Storm as a strength and conditioning coach and you've got players playing nationally and, you know, state of origin, all that sort of stuff, how do you talk to their strength and conditioning coaches for those sort of levels um, to make sure that you're not overdoing the training methods while the players are at Storm? Um, look, that's a great question. And to tell you the truth, it would almost be best off answered by someone at another club because the reason why I say that is our head strength conditioning coach at that time was the, the head um, S&C for the Queensland team and the Australian team. So um, we had him in the gym and then he was off on tour. So he knew exactly what the players were doing when they were on tour because he was there with them and then what they were doing with us. So um, from our perspective, it probably wasn't managed as um, closely as it was from sort of other teams because we knew we were in there day to day with the players. We knew what they were doing. Mm. Um, but some of those other teams, yeah, I, I would say so. I think that on tour, again, it depends on what, depending on where a club is, touring or where a tournament is um, it depends on then I suppose what hotel they're staying in, what access they've got to gym equipment or are they using a club, um, whether that be international or in another state and then, um, so I think that you know again the focus would be on game times during those tournaments because there can be a um, can be a pretty fast turnaround between games like a, maybe a three or four day turnaround so um, 
yeah, so it can it can vary, I suppose, and it, it's probably one that's it, it is a bit harder to monitor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with that, I was sort of just thinking about a few of the methods you might use to actually make sure that players aren't overtraining. Um, I yep. know with my local soccer team, we one of the guys is a uh, qualified exercise phys, and he simply gets us to fill out a form after each session, and it's the okay. rate of perceived exertion. Yeah, so yep. we sort of say whether, you know, one to 10, obviously you know all about it. Yeah. Um, 10 being we flogged ourselves, maybe next training we might have a lighter session to just make sure that we're not overdoing it. What sort of yep. methods do you use at the elite level um, with your athletes? Yeah, so that's that's one, definitely, and probably one that um, we've even uh, introduced recently um, in, in my role as a high-performance manager at, at Old Scotch. Um, so, so that's one, and that's probably one that at this point in time I see is beneficial given the current environment that it's hard for groups of players to get together. So we're looking at it from afar, but, you know, definitely um, also looking at wellness questionnaires um, is another great way as well. With um, All of this stuff can be pretty broad, but I suppose that you look at, for me, I look at training loads, the demands on the training loads given from a, a physiological perspective. So, and that can be done through, you know, GPS tracking and data analysis and that sort of stuff over a period of time as well. Mm. Um, but then you've got to look at it from a psychological perspective as to what a player is doing too and what um, really gets them up and about to perform at their best consistently. So, and that's where it varies. And that's, um, I suppose, where in my business, I do a lot of work because I work with a niche market and I only work with very few players, um, you get to know them so well that you can pick all those little things and you can work through them because, um, you know, every, every individual is different and it's no different with athletes. Um, you just got to figure out what works best for your client and then you, to allow them to be able to perform at their best week in, week out. Yeah, absolutely. So with, with Storm, how many years were you there for? You were there for... Sorry, you just cut out at the end oh, so, Sorry, mate. Um, how many years yeah, were you working at Storm? Uh, three years. Yeah, three so only years. a short time um, at Storm. Another sort of opportunity opened up with within the AFL at that stage. So it was, um, yeah, so I suppose I sort of hit a little fork in the road where I had a couple of decisions to make. Um, and... And the storm stuff, as much as I enjoyed it um, and learnt, you know, a hell of a lot, was um, it was probably at a point where I was still at a, an age where I wanted to be able to play footy. And given that you know you're travelling with the teams and that, I wasn't able to do that. So um, I decided that I would take on another role and then get back to playing footy for the weekend. Yeah, cool. So you played Aussie rules yourself? Yeah. Yep. Just just um, amateur type of footy around um, Melbourne and um, played up in Queensland for a couple of years as well. So, um, yeah, so it's something that I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed. And that, at that time, it's, um, I think it's also about passing on your sort of learnings throughout what you did and what you didn't do throughout your footy as well to help your clients now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with the NRL side of it, um, did you do much, did you know much about the sport before you landed the gig at Storm or did you sort of just use it as a massive sort of learning experience and sort of try to soak up as much as you could while you were there? Yeah, really, really the latter. I think that 
um, you know, growing up uh, as a young fella in Melbourne um, and just immersed in the AFL world, um, Melbourne Storm, you know, probably I'm really into the scene when I was in my teenage years, but, you know, the, the AFL, everything there had just really been embedded into me and it is a game that I much more thoroughly enjoy. Um, but, you know, when the opportunity did present itself to to um, to get in there and, and learn my craft, it was one that, like Melbourne Storm already by then had a fantastic name for itself and still do, and I would imagine will do long time into the future. So um, that was an environment that I really wanted to get into, and especially from a, a strength perspective, because I think that strength and conditioning can, you know, as a general type of role is often very looked at from a strength perspective. So I wanted to really learn that strength craft from, from the best um, and then develop that sort of conditioning phase along the way to, to help players in other sports and and now which is which is Aussie rules yeah cool well I think um that's that's really good that you sort of worked in a different sport that you weren't too familiar with um, your learning would have been extraordinary in that time and if you can sort of develop strength conditioning program for a sport that you're not you know all that familiar with that would make it easier I'd imagine once you do get to the sport that you've sort of grown up with yeah yeah absolutely yeah because um i mean there's so much transference of skill there is across i suppose positions and even sports there's definitely some parts that will go into greater depths for different sports because you know i, I look at it from a, a perspective oh, i know that when like the melbourne demons afl team were in the gym they could see the storm boys lifting their weights they would almost be in awe of the amount of weights they could lift the amount of strength and power they could demonstrate but then you know if we flip that scenario and we'd go out in the field and we'd see the demons training then the storm boys would be in awe of them aerobically and their capacity to just um be able to run at high loads for such a long period of time so you know um you develop those foundations i think that are important for many sports and then you can go into greater depths within those to to get great outcomes for a particular sport yeah cool because it yeah it is two different athletes and it's sort of because i'm a big fan of afl and especially over the last 10 15 years afl players have um they're getting leaner and leaner because they're just turning into just aerobic monsters really aren't they so yeah absolutely that's um that's a, I suppose, a huge focus in my programs, especially at the minute. And like, as you said there, that was sort of a change in the past really 10 years that I've seen. And I think that, um, you know, we move in circles, in waves. And so in five, 10 years time, the game may go back to those bigger bodies, you know, on ball and being able to really compete in a congested type situation. I'm not saying the players can't now, but definitely when the ball gets out in space, you see that aerobic mm. um, endurance really take over. So. Yeah, I think um, what the aim there is to just try and stay ahead of the ahead of the curve and um, yeah, see what's upcoming. Definitely um, at the moment, though, it's definitely an aerobic game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with that, I sort of noticed my brother was a pretty good footballer. He sort of went through the pioneers and yep. close to get drafted, didn't quite um, get there. But it seemed like a lot of the kids that were getting drafted weren't necessarily the best footballers, but they were just uh, sort of physical specimens. They could run all day. Um, what's, I don't know if I was the biggest fan of it because there seems to be some 
really good footballers that aren't necessarily like, you know, your Sam Mitchells, that type of player. Um, that yep. again, footballers got the game sense, but they don't quite have the physical attributes. What are your thoughts on the way that clubs are sort of uh, drafting kids now? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good question. It's one that I think that will last forever and eternity because I suppose that different clubs look at different assets um, on almost like a, a level of desirability, I suppose. And I'm actually having a, a chat with one of my clients in an AFL recruiter tonight um, in which, you know, some of the points there that you brought up, like one being Sam Mitchell, um, I, I think at the end of it, if you, and this is, I suppose, a, a lot of things that um, I teach with my clients, if, you, if you're really determined and driven to get an outcome, like you can achieve that. The only one that, the only person that will stop you from achieving that is yourself. And so if you look at someone like Sam Mitchell, I know there's been others that, um, you know, I, I talk about quite regularly in my business. And if if they gave up on their dreams, like, you know, we wouldn't be talking about him like we are today who just, you know, played so well at the top, the top level as well. Um, so I think that definitely there's some traits and behaviours that are looked upon really desirably and, and whether they outweigh um, the skill base, I suppose, the skill elements of the game, like they may do for some clubs. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're that player who who's missed out because, um, you know, there, there might be some physical attributes that you don't currently possess that, that clubs are looking for, then one, you want to improve that deficiency and, and two, you want to go deeper into... To, um, into your sort of key traits and behaviours to be able to make those really stand out on a on a level. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way of putting it because yeah, they're always. I don't know. I see some really good footballers running around locally, and you're like, you know, they they have it, but what? Why didn't they get drafted? But I suppose that's the same in every sport. Like, not everyone's going to get the opportunities, like um, to sort of make it at the top level, and that's just what makes it so uh, intense and such a big achievement if you do get drafted or do get that opportunity and um, sort of make the most of it. Yeah, that's right. And and maybe those players that you speak of just simply, as I mentioned earlier, like just gave up on that dream. Maybe they're at that level at 18 years of age and, and thought they could get drafted um, and then didn't get drafted for whatever reason. And so, you know, because they've got that, that talent there, um, they can go back to sort of amateur or local football level and play, you know, almost dominate. Um, and I suppose that, you know, we'd be talking in the same ilk of Sam Mitchell as well if, if he had decided that, you know, no doubt that he would be terrorising whatever competition he'd be playing mm. um, at an amateur level for a, a long period of time. But then, yeah, to have that that desire to keep persisting and, and just to keep working hard, then that, you know, I suppose it's that old thing that we talk about. I think that hard work outweighs talent. So some mm. people are just so driven that they won't give up on it and then they'll achieve it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's really, really good now. Um, I'm pretty sure Kevin Sheedy was the one that brought in the mature age sort of recruits to me, the rookie system. Yep. Yeah, well, I think that's unreal because, you, yeah, you're getting these blokes that... Because you get a lot of footballers, and you would have seen it time and time again, that they're not necessarily the standouts in junior footy, but there's a lot of late bloomers out there that don't start playing good footy till you know, the early mid-20s. Um, yeah. And 
I sort of looked up. There's one, was Michael Barlow a guy that you worked with? So Michael Barlow, I, I do a bit of work in a different sense. So it's in a, a recent program that we've developed. Um, but he's a story though that, and you know, I've spoke to Michael about this as well. He's, he's one of those like the, the Sam Mitchell type story that, um, you know, just kept persisting. And you know, some people say a late bloomer, but the like you're right in the sense that they've got drafted at a mature age and now we see it more prominently. Um, but yeah, guys that, that keep persisting at their craft and then if you keep knocking on the door, you know, eventually it's going to open. Yeah, well, I heard a story about um, Lumumba. Uh, what was his, Harry O'Brien, that was his yep. original name. Um, yep. But I'm not sure if this is true or not. I'm not sure whether you can elaborate, but apparently he didn't, wasn't like didn't get drafted and he kept sending tapes of his highlights of his footy to clubs and eventually Collingwood gave him a go have you heard anything yeah. about that no I haven't heard that one no specifically I mean I've heard um, guys persist in different ways but I haven't actually um, heard that story but I think that you know there's um, there's yeah something great to learn within that and I'm not saying to every player who listens to this is why we come and do that because I'm sure clubs and, and recruiters will get inundated with videos but there are mm. different ways that I think you can go about it and um, yeah be a bit innovative and it comes back to how badly you want it yeah absolutely yeah it comes back to that and it comes back to sort of making the effort like I love the saying um, you sort of make your own luck like people might yeah. say you get lucky you know getting a good job or you know um living a dream or whatever it may be but you've obviously put yourself out there enough to get those opportunities you haven't just sat on your on your bum and sort of waited for it to happen um, yeah 100 percent. like i couldn't agree with you more but um i think as well at the at the initial setback like whenever someone sets a goal there, there's often you know setbacks along the way and many probably fail from achieving that that goal or outcome because they have a, a minor setback there. In the grand scheme of things, they might see it as major at that time, but then there's, a, there's almost a sense of giving up on that dream or I can't now achieve that end result. But, um, you know, that, like, I suppose that a good one, one that I was talking, you know, um, told a long time ago is sort of what's the consequence of inaction and it means that, you know, you're going to go on and not achieve any. So, you know, to make mistakes, is something that I suppose I call them opportunities for growth within my business with my clients. It's something that I strongly encourage because it shows taking action. Mm. And, you know, you've got to, if you want to achieve whatever you set out, you've got to take action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of bumps on the way. And if you can t kind of turn a failure into sort of a learning opportunity, um, I think yes. that's the key because some people yes. will make a mistake and then. They might go out to the next game of footy or basketball or whatever it is and they'll start freezing up and they won't want to make a mistake again. But if they can just learn from that mistake last time, grow from it. Because um, I think fear paralyzes a lot of people. Do you sort of think about 100%. that when you're sort of talking to athletes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, more often than not. And I think it's the, um, you know, this is something that I suppose recently with that AFL recruit I talked about as well, that, you know, it's the um, optimist versus pessimist type scenario. Now I'm definitely an optimist, but then I think, you know, you've got to be putting the right energy behind it. It's not just putting something out there and saying, optimistically, I'll achieve it. It's those, those actions, but so many um, are paralysed by fear. And, 
in that fear then leads that inaction that I spoke of earlier or just, you know, um, becoming content, not really being able to take yourself to that next level. Uh, it could be something that's actually within you that you, you're well unable to do. Um, but yeah, fear holds a lot of people back. Um, definitely. Mm, absolutely. It's a weird thing because um, some people, it holds a lot of people back, but and then other stories, I don't know whether you, do you follow cricket or, at all or? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, there's a guy, Um, oh, you would have heard of him, Mike Hussey. Yeah, um, yep. And he sort of talks about <laughs> the amount of, he was just a bit of a psycho, but the amount of pressure he'd build on himself before he'd go out to bat and stuff. And he just would be that cranky, like wouldn't talk to anyone for a week if he, did, you know, made a low score. Yep. So he managed to sort of turn that fear into performance. Um, but at the same time, he probably, he sort of says, says it openly. He didn't enjoy a lot of the times in his career at the time, even making big yep. scores because he was always sort of um, thinking of the next one. Like he sort of wasn't really get, I don't know, wasn't living in the moment, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And that um, that's something that, you know, definitely with the clients that I work with that I, I pass on that like it's the ride, you've got to enjoy it, um, you know, because, because with enjoyment and, and with openness to learning really, and sort of um, almost in, you know, when you're in a relaxed state when you can be open to learning, then you can get some great takeaways. But when you're tense, um, yeah, stressed, then, you know, often you can't sort of really grow and develop out of that that stage so you know i talk a lot of clarity and focus with the clients i work with as well so that then they can have clarity and focus on the field and therefore that can impact their decision making um you know if we can impact their decision making positively we can start to look at up leveling your standards of footy um and raising the bar within yourself hmm, absolutely and there's nothing better than watching um doesn't matter what sport but especially in afl there's a lot of players that play on instinct and it's just a yes. beautiful to watch. Like you look at Marlon Pickett, like he's probably a real outlier the way he's sort of got his opportunity. But in that grand final last year, just doing stuff like, you know, the 360 blind turn, it's like yes. he can't, he can't run, really coach yeah. that. Like he's obviously got the confidence in his own ability to just go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, from sort of only through media circles, what you're seeing here, but Damien Hardwick really encouraged him to do that. And I think that, the best coaches to do as well, but, um, you know, allowing your players that have that ability to really play on instinct. Some people really like structure and, and they need some other players I've found in, in the past when I've coached as well, I tell them just play on instinct because their instinct is that good, their awareness of the game, their ability to, to change the game. Like why, why try and get them into a really structured format whereby this doesn't suit them. Um, it makes them that tight and stressed. And so therefore they make, bad decisions whereas previously if they just played on instinct they'd make good decisions you just back them in um and that comes down to that real individualized aspect i suppose of, of coaching doesn't it absolutely and coaching is such a complex gig like you got to try and get to know every player and gone to the days when you know 80s 90s earlier than that where a lot of coaches tended to use just the berating method they'd berate yeah. every player in the team and try and get a better outcome but these days um I don't know whether it's the way we're bought up or I wouldn't say that we're softer now, but we're just, we don't really respond to that 
as well. Look, some players do, but other players needed more confidence and pat on the back, positive reinforcement. Um, yep. So have you seen that change over the last 10, 15 years? Have you noticed that at all, the way coaches approach the way yeah. they speak to their players? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I think that with the, the next generation that you speak about, like we are um, more aware of communication methods and what's effective and what's not. And definitely, you know, even when I grew up, like you mentioned, um, communication or one particular communication mode there that it was probably you know used a little bit and then used a bit to the detriment of the team as that next sort of generation of plays came through um you know even when i sort of look back on um my playing days in leadership roles i knew that there were some players within the team that to get the best out of them they would like that sort of rev up and you could speak to them like that but you could only do it on an individual basis and it could be out the field um, as well, and it could be you know a simple one-liner, but you know that that would get a really positive reaction. But there might be some other players in the team, and they could potentially be younger players as well. More often than not, they're a little bit differently if they um, encountered, I suppose, a situation that was um, But you, your mode, your mode delivery in your community is really important to because yeah that's that i suppose and you know i think even now if we go to another depth of that you know with the clients that I, they play in a team environment so i never um, contradict anything that that a coach is telling them um as well to go out there and achieve but a coach is looking at it and i've been you know in the role as i mentioned previously that a coach is looking at it from the the 22 players that that are out there um, on game day to go on and, and win that game and, you know, have team success. Whereas um, that's, yeah, I, I coach the individual. So I'm looking at individual performance. And, and then again, though your communication method within that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll chat a little bit about what players you're working with now um, and sort of how you structure their programs. Cause obviously you need to have an individualized um, program there's no point of having the same program for three different players yep. so yeah do you want to chat to us with some um, specific players you work with and um, how that relationship is yeah yeah cool so I suppose um, as I mentioned probably at the start of this there's really three parts to my business and, and one of those parts is um, an academy in which I work with 15 to 21 year olds and the, the approach to that as well in an academy um, environment is making sure that the parents are included um, mm. and, and making sure that the parents understand the program and um, you know the outcomes that the player uh, will get from that program as well as just making sure that throughout the whole program um, they understand they can ask questions like I always talk to them about the fact that um, this is the program this is the outlay of it now I'm dealing with your son or daughter in that program. I'm talking to them. I'm not talking to you. So I don't want that parent to have input. We've seen that, you know, over many years and we'll always continue to, that there'd be some parents that um, like, that's really hard to, to sort of almost step back in that sense. But, you know, if they allow a kid to really um, go deeper into their footy, then, then you, you get those great outcomes and the kid learns um, by, by being themselves and rather than having parent talk to me. So that's sort of, mm. um, that's one area of my business. Another one 
which I work with players on a one-to-one -one basis, which is a HAD system. So um, I work with very few players across the country. Like I make no apologies when I say that because I want the players to have great outcomes. So I, I don't um, do anything in, in a mass number. Like I don't, you know, run big clinics or anything like that. I, I like to work one-to-one -one with a client and have some VIP days with them as well, in which I, you know, resource really well. So also some some key influential people, like I mentioned there earlier, I've got a, one of my long-term clients tonight, we're having a chat to an AFL recruiter. So um, it's about giving them as much value as you possibly can. So, you know, I use my background in strength and conditioning to do all their programming because I, I know what works. Um, what transfers to the field and what our phases look like. So um, I do that. I do a lot of probably, you know, another area that we spoke about a fair bit throughout this is I do a lot of mindset training with them. So um, about the way that they apply themselves to their footy to then go out there and get those great outcomes. And that often comes through confidence. You know, confidence comes through experience and some other things, but we can develop that experience within it. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, as part of that program too, I look at, there's a number of avenues that I look at, but we also go quite deep into positional strategies. So if I have a player that plays, you know, on a half forward flank and then um, understanding their strengths and weaknesses and what you need to work on, but how they can then get around the field and, and maximise their opportunity um, is something that I do. So, um, yeah, one of my, the one who I'm having a chat with tonight, he, he's um, playing in the Waffle. So he's over there in Western Australia. I'm based in Melbourne, but he's moved from Canberra. So I helped him out through some time in Canberra to now um, go in a position himself really strongly over there now. You know. All right, Brad, with, the, um, with working individually with players and stuff, you talk about the mental aspects um, of the coaching and your mentorship. Do you do much um, to do with meditation and visualisation with the players? Do you talk to them about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a um, look, it's a big aspect I think I you know also mentioned about the clarity that sort of players can get on field and that comes through a lot of work that I do with them one-to-one -one off field so you know I talk about mindfulness being an umbrella um, and within that you know meditation being a foundation that we consistently use um, and then yeah you know you touch on another one there as well visualization but I think it's having the right application um, of all the parts within what I say is the mindfulness umbrella uh, making sure that you're not um, sort of outweighing it and tipping it too far in one direction because that can lead to poor outcomes as well. Kind of having that right balance for a player um, to be able to yeah, go out there and perform at their best week in, week out, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll get Connor to jump in with his question. Yeah, yeah so um, really enjoying it so far. Um, we've had a few athletes on here before. One of them was Archie Thompson, who used to play for Melbourne Victory. Um, yep. He mentioned when we were talking to him that he sort of slacked off the strength and conditioning sort of thing when he was younger, and he really regrets it now. Um, how yeah. important is that foundation of strength and conditioning in younger athletes for extending the career they have in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think it's it's a lot to do with developing the right movement patterns within and so it comes from a real technical aspect early on that you want to get right now there's uh, there's different players that you know i've seen in the past and different athletes that haven't had it or got it right at a young age and so then it's just about sort of stripping them back and starting again 
Um, mm. In order to go on to, uh, you know, be really successful at a particular sport, I think that depending on, I mean, you know, I'm talking really purely within a footy sense here now that, that what I do, um, it's really important and it's really important to, to get it right and to get the right application as well because there's so many things that you can do, not only strength and conditioning wise, but I suppose generally there's so many things that you can do that um, I've found there's no real great outcome from them. So, so why do them and players do, you know, perform tasks like that. Um, you've definitely, you know, when I say that, you've got to have your downtime and other things, but you want to be productive when you're applying yourself to your sport and strength and conditioning is definitely a huge part of that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Um, do you have any more questions, Tommy? Yeah, so I've got just a couple short ones. So the first one would be um, for, for any, like, young guys or girls, uh, whether they're, you know, at high school or um, at uni, people that are thinking about sort of working with professional athletes, what sort of advice yep. would you give them, Brad, to sort of get into that sort of space? Because um, obviously there wouldn't be a heap of jobs, I wouldn't imagine, doing what you yeah. do. Or, yeah, so how would you go about doing that? Yeah, I think just just work hard, stay determined. You know, you hear a lot of different um, people say, you know, whether they go for a job interview or whatever it is, that, that they lack experience now. Um, like I'm a big believer in the fact that you can only get experience one way and that's really putting yourself out there and, um, and, and yeah, learning. And that can be from a, a base level as well. Like, so I think a lot of guys and girls think, you know, if they want to get into professional sport, that that's the starting point. Well, quite often they're not, it's not, and it's really working your way up and, and networking your way through. Like if there's a will, there's a way and it could be starting it you know, helping your local under 10s, under 12 sporting club, whether it be footy, soccer, basketball, whatever it is, um, just helping them in some certain areas and then, you know, just gradually sort of grow and develop that. And then your next progress or progression might be that you're working with the under 14s and the under 16s and then, you know, you might just sort of start working your way up. But along the way, you're building a great skill set because, you know, you're learning different different things um, about movement patterns and, and that sort with, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds right through to 16, open up men and women. And then I think that yeah, if you can really build build your learning capacity and then um, that experience just comes within. Yeah, I think that's a great answer because um, a lot of young people, because Connor and I are teachers, so we're sort of just graduated, but you work yep. with some young people and whether it's technology or whatever else, social media, um, a lot of kids want things there and then. But at the yep. same time, if they do get that, learn that job, uh, you know, a dream job straight away, they might not have, not have the skills and they might not have put in that, you know, got all those fundamentals in the first place. So they might not actually be successful uh, jumping straight into that. So I think it's important to sort of get all those fundamentals before you, um, before you sort of jump up. Yeah, yeah. And I think not sort of don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Like definitely... Um, before I started working at Melbourne Storm and, and was learning my craft uh, a little bit within the health and fitness industry, I was quite open to working with um, clients from different backgrounds and and to have different levels of ability as well. You know, I remember one girl that I worked with that um, had Down syndrome and cerebral palsy from a hip stick. It was, um, uh, you know, really... Um, learning how to, to work with her to get great outcomes. And she was a swimmer. And so I was working in conjunction with a physiotherapist as well to increase flexibility through the ankle joint and that sort of stuff. So it's like, you know, the learning is endless and um, you take great um, 
intrinsic satisfaction when you see outcomes from a client like that that goes on and swims really well on the weekend or um, you know just their the improvements they make in their their daily life just to see them happy and well and fit like that sort of stuff is um yeah just put yourself out there and have a go and and you'll learn so much along the way yeah absolutely that's beautiful mate um and the last thing we'll finish up on is uh sort of what are your plans for the future obviously you want to keep growing your business but um what where do you see yourself in sort of five years five ten years time yeah geez, that's a good question um definitely what i'm doing now within my business is is my passion it's it's what i love so um yeah continuing to get great outcomes for the players that i work with is is something that i want to focus on you know i sort of um touched on very briefly that there's a new part to my business working with former players as well and that's adding a real educational component to it for career outcomes so that's um that's been a program that i've been developing over the sort of past 12 to 18 months we've just launched so i'm excited by that but um yeah to just keep keep working my players to give them great outcomes and um um you know be happy and healthy with my family and and that sort of thing that's definitely um what drives me every day yeah cool well i think that's great that you're doing that now um with former players because from what you hear there's a massive hole for a lot of players from um retiring and then because they, they're in that little bubble for you know five ten fifteen years whatever it is routine footy club and then, you know, playing in front of 50,000 people on the weekend. And once that's gone, it would be, you know, very scary for those players to try and transition. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's brilliant you're doing that. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's one that um, we're excited about. And as you just, you you know, pretty much hit the nail on the head there, that it's, um, yeah, there's there's a real need for it for players exiting the game that I've found. Um, so we've collected a lot of data over the past 12 months about it and, um, developed a program accordingly in which, you know, we can solve some really big problems there. So I'm looking forward to the players will be working or former players will be working within that. Yeah, growing that that little part too. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Um, did you want to plug any of your Facebook page or anything, your business or anything like that while we're oh, finishing up? Happy for anyone to... to you know, looking into this, that it might have struck a chord with them and, you know, it could be a footballer playing in a whatever area of the country. If they want to you know, get in touch, um, yeah, please feel free to, to follow us, the Holistic Athlete Development, our Facebook page, um, through our Instagram. Um, and, you know, there's there's also an email subscriber list that, that I have. If they want to jump on that, then I give, you know, training tips and tricks throughout. So I'm um, happy to... Happy to help. I just work with dedicated players that, that want great outcomes. That's as I mentioned there before. I like a, a small team of players that I work with, but um, yeah, happy to help wherever I uh, wherever I can. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Brad. Really appreciate it. It's a good insight no, into no. working with professional athletes and your experiences. Yeah, great. Thanks, Tom and Connor. That's uh, no, it's been enjoyable. I've loved the chat. So thank you very much for having me on. No worries, mate. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the blokes in your ear. You can check us out on Facebook and our page, The Blokes In Your Ear. Also, check out our Instagram and Twitter using the tag at Blokes In Your Ear. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back with another podcast soon.